Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. I don't have any problem with enjoying a big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those boring art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure i will talk about it so that i don't have to see it again or whatever so in a way our our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine we wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion pre-digested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap we had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. We did, it was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I am joined by my good friend, Alex. I'm going to go ahead and read you a description, Alex, of this movie. A young man and his absentee father are pursued across the world by a group of generic Russians as they attempt to find a mythical red herring that turned out to be the relationship that they made along the way. That truly could be any number of films. I would guess maybe a, a treatment for a third national treasure, maybe. Ah, well, you're very close. You're in the same vein. It's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Fantastic. Uh, and that's what we'll be talking about today. As always, I am Mike. Uh, my favorite three movies are Casablanca, Old Boy, and Mad Max Fury Road. Now, obviously, that might be subject to change, but those are my current favorites of all time uh alex three favorite movies currently or of all time um all, all time i'm gonna say clockwork orange rocky horror picture show and maybe i'm gonna go fellowship fellowship of the rain mm, fellowship that's a you know what that's a solid that's a solid movie um and a solid book uh if you haven't read it read the books uh because they're very good i would highly recommend if you like the movies read the books as far as i'm aware there's no novelization of this film that we're talking about today so i disclaimer here so i have seen this film so this this podcast generally speaking uh it's called movies we've never seen uh because generally speaking i want to watch and talk about movies i've never seen see what we think about them versus how they actually are i have seen it but i've put this movie out of my mind i have been for a while one of those people who have said that uh and to kind of color this going forward there are only three indiana jones films only three yep alex you were the one who brought this to my attention you were like hey let's do this one and i thought it was a great idea because it's been so long since i've seen it i put it out of my mind that I feel that I could reasonably do this. And without further ado, I'm going to go into some trivia for this. I'm going to see what you know uh, or don't know about it, uh, or at least, you know, um, uh, some arbitrary things about it. So, uh, in the car chase scene, what 
unexpectedly landed in the seat next to Harrison Ford uh, as sort of an oopsie. Was it a Whopper with extra cheese that was uh, dislodged from one of the grips? B, a live explosive that did not did not go off as planned? Or C, one of the snakes from a scene that they were scheduled to film later that day? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say live explosive. You would be right. So they were filming uh, a scene where they were driving through a wall and the wall explodes. Well, one of the live explosives did not go off and landed in the seat right next to Harrison Ford. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, he did not get blown up because we have had to endure more bad Star Wars since that time. Uh, Hot take. Hot take. take. (laughs) (laughs) I... Hot take, the new Star Wars have made me appreciate Star Trek much more. Uh, I, I don't know if it's if it's just age, or maybe it's just because I've started watching more Next Generation, but I, I think I am starting to lean more to the Trekkie side. Dude, like, honestly, I never appreciated Next Generation when, because I was, you know, I watched it when it was like relatively like i might have watched the first like reruns of it uh when i was coming up and i'm like this is kind of cool there's some like sci-fi stuff in here this is fun and at that time i was a big star wars nerd so i'm like but it's not as good as star wars but man going back and watching the old star treks i i think that's the fucking way man hi i'm I'm with you this is the way (laughs) this is the way uh, yeah, anyway, uh, but anyway, it was a live explosive, and Harrison Ford is not dead, so at least not at the time of recording this podcast. I, I think I think the line between Harrison Ford's character and Harrison Ford as a human being is is continually blurring. I mean, between this live explosive, the fact that he like crash landed a plane in a golf course, he... Harrison Ford is slowly becoming his character. I think that probably Harrison Ford was always just Indiana Jones. And they were like, you know what? Let's just base a movie off of this guy. Yeah, there's there's not actually any films. They just uh, they just followed Harrison Ford around with a film crew. These are just gonzo journalism is what yes. they are. <laughs> they just followed him around with a film crew and recorded his actual day-to-day. That's, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say that that's, well, I don't know. Likely or not with this one? Uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, anyway, question number two. So you got that one right. So you're you're uh, you're one up there. What was the code name for this movie before release? Was it called A, Bandwagon, B, Red Rover, or C, Turbo Racer? Uh, I'm going to say Red Rover. It was actually Bandwagon. Bandwagon. Uh, so, fun fun fact about this. Spielberg kept this film so tightly under wraps. Other than people like at the studio and a few choice actors who they had did auditions with and didn't get to do it. Uh, and then obviously the actors that they picked. No one knew that they were making another Indiana Jones for quite a long time. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, Spielberg, uh, Spielberg, Freudian slip, but Spielberg had actually, um, uh, John Hurt, who's in this film, had actually um, requested to see the script because Spielberg is not in the habit of giving scripts out. But for this one, he actually sent a man physically with a copy of the script on a plane to Britain. And the man sat in John Hurt's living room drinking tea until he was finished reading the script and then flew it back that same day to the United States. What what do I have to do to get that job? Honestly, that would be dope as fuck. Like, 
Hot, you're just the guy who takes Steven Spielberg's scripts to people and just hangs out while people read it. Like it, Less that and more just hanging out with John Hurt, really. Yeah, unfortunately he is he is uh, resting in pepperonis at this point. I, I don't see I don't believe that. You know not not until I've I've personally seen the body. I think <laughs> he's hanging out with Elvis and Tupac somewhere. Down in Cuba? Down in Cuba, yeah. <laughs> I feel like John Hurt probably, like, not necessarily out of any actors, because I could feel like there's a lot of them doing that, but John Hurt, yeah, he might fake his death to, to like, retire somewhere. Yeah. I could see that, but, oh, man, if he is dead, it's still sad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so that was the name of it. It was called Bandwagon um, hmm. for the longest time. Here's here's the good one. So so you've got, you're, you're one of two, chance to make it, make you a net positive on this. So this is a fun one. Uh, who was originally asked to write the screenplay for this film? Was it A, M. Night Shyamalan, B, Zack Snyder, or C, Danny McBride? And it was for a fact one of these three people that was asked originally to do it. This So this is somebody that was asked to do it and, and turned not. it down. Okay. Yes. I'm going to say it's not Shyamalan because this feels too much like a Shyamalan film. Okay. So, boy, I really want it to be Danny McBride. <laughs> I really want that to be it. I'm going to well, go Danny McBride. And you know what? He's a surprisingly amazing screenwriter. So you're going to go McBride. Yeah. Uh, it was actually Shyamalan. Your it first was Shyamalan. Uh-huh. Your, yeah, your, 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 uh, you, you completely dismissed it, which, again, I probably would have too because... I would have honestly, if it were me, and I, I probably would have said at that time, probably Zack Snyder. I would have been like, okay, yeah, Snyder, he's an action guy. He does yeah. it. Like Danny McBride was, because uh, this came out in, and I had my thing open here. It came out in 2008, yeah. which was, you know, around that time, that was when Snyder was big. He was doing a lot of stuff. but Yeah, because that was right before Watchmen. Yes, it was right before Watchmen, and it was after he kind of like um, right after three hundred. After three hundred, yeah, and and you know he was already like he had already done three hundred. He had already done the Day of the Dead re- or Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was he was gaining in popularity. So it would it would make sense that Snyder would do that. But yeah, you're right, Shyamalan. It just feels too much like he would do it, and like why I, would he turn it down? I so my thought was it 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 feels like it was written. By Shyamalan. That's why. That's why I made the caveat about turned it down. Because if you told me that Shyamalan had written this, like just knowing what I do know about this movie, I would hundred percent believe it, it was written by him. I agree with you on that. On that one, as far as it stands, though, it was um, uh, Lucas and Spielberg basically yeah, who, who did it. And as much as as much as I'm a George Lucas stan, uh, especially like you know. Uh, again, going back to our Star Wars versus Star Trek thing, the original Star Tre- Star Warses, and I'm talking about all six of them, not just not not just the original three that Lucas that Lucas did. Um, I'm talking about all six, uh, which I love the prequels to death. They're great. Lucas is it's he's a weirdly polarizing figure for a lot of people, and I can see why because he does a lot of like just basic tropes, but he I feel like he does them well enough that like you don't care. For the most part in this film and what I recall of it, I feel like it could have been a lot better had they done just a few things differently. That's sort of my biggest takeaway of this is like it was it's like that meme uh, from Rogue One. It's like you were so close to greatness. (laughs) 
could have been just just so good. But anyway, with that trivia, uh, knowing that it was not written by Shyamalan and Bruce Willis was not just in it the whole time as a ghost, what what are your thoughts? And again, this is this is a a big one, right? Because yeah. this is such a polarizing film, and I don't, frankly. I don't know anybody who says that it's great. Like, I think that everybody says that all three, with the exception of sometimes Temple of Doom, which I feel is my favorite, honestly. I I really do love Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom is so good, and it's so underrated. But with the exception of that one kind of getting a middling response from people, Indiana Jones films are just, like, they're the holy grail of action films. Yeah. And this one was just... I don't know anyone who thinks that it's on that same level or even close. Now, I might be wrong because uh, I only know like 10 people <laughs> because <Yeah>. I'm <laughs> I'm an introvert and I hate everyone. But I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? Because I've seen it. I want to know. I'm especially curious, having never seen it, what your thoughts are. I, so, I mean, obviously I know about the end. I yeah. know with no restraint on spoilers. Yep. Uh, I know it's aliens. I initially did want to see it because... You know, 2008, you know, I, I like, you know, love Harrison Ford, like Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I would have seen it. Uh, and then I found out the end was Aliens. And ever since then, up until now, I have purposely kept myself from watching this movie. I've gone out of my way to <laughs> not see this. I want to say that I actually saw this in theaters because I, I kind of knew that there was going to be some funky alien stuff here, but I'm like... My whole family was going to go see it because, like, I grew up on, like, you know, original Star Wars, the original Indiana Jones films. I even, like, I've even seen all of the um, young Indiana Jones, like, direct-to-TV movies, which, frankly, starring uh, um, uh, Sean Patrick Flannery, yeah, uh, they're all, like, like, with the exception of one or two that are a little bit odd, they're all actually very good. Like, they're fun, serial, schlocky. Uh, some of them can be a little bit more serious than others, like, because they deal with, like, weird, serious issues. But, like, for the most part, like, even those are great. And I would say that, in general, I've never been more, having been into that fandom so hard, I can definitely say that I was very, and my impressions of this are vague, because, again, I put it out of my head for so long that, like, whatever. It was just so viscerally disappointing to me and i think you've touched on the exact part that i had a problem with because every single other indiana jones property deals with not necessarily like extraterrestrial alien life there's like a lot of suspension of disbelief in these movies like especially like you know hey if you're not religious like yeah that these weird religious items have power like yeah to someone who's like not religious that would be like really Frankly, especially stuff that even to some religious people that these things can manifest powers in the real world and affect them. Yeah. Like the way that they do in there. That's even hard to suspend your disbelief on. But they went the other way. Instead of in keeping with the theme of we're going to have religious objects that people are pursuing. And these are the bad guys. And they want them because they have demonstrable power. And Indiana Jones is this weird archaeologist who does archaeology, and then sometimes saves the world somewhat inadvertently, somewhat intentionally from these bad guys, right? That's the whole premise of it. And in this case, it was no Nazis, but Russians. I'm cool with that. I'm 100% down because it was set in the 50s. He's older, right? Yeah. 
Nazis are, unless you're doing a whole, like, Hitler actually moved to Argentina and you're going to, like, fight Hitler in Argentina sort of deal, like, secret history style, yeah. I'm cool with the with the Soviets. See, I, I feel like that could have fit. It, it feels, you know, secret it, Nazis continuing to fight the war. See, there was a lot of jungledness there, and I thought yeah. that, like, that might have been where they were going for it until, like, there was a bunch of people with Russian accents. So I'm, I could have been cool either way, right? Secret history Nazis versus Soviets, whatever. It was actually George Lucas who was like, because Spielberg was thinking like, what religious artifact are they going to have? Like, what are they going to like, because that was his thought. But he was like, in doing the research, he was like, the Soviets really weren't into religious items because they were mostly like, they forced atheism on a lot of people culturally. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make sense that they're actually either don't want to go after these religious items. Now, in a world where, in a universe where these things demonstrably have power, you're getting a little bit, like, you could take some licenses with that. George Lucas was the one who said, hey, they were looking for these things called crystal skulls. Like, it's a weird, like, maybe occult or extraterrestrial thing. And then when George Lucas said that, I think it was Spielberg who then said, oh, let's make it aliens. So George Lucas kind of took it this way of like, hey, there are these crystal skull things that they were all about, but no one really knows about them. And then Spielberg was like, oh, crystal skulls, alien skulls. Cool. I like aliens. I've done alien films. Close Encounters, E.T., all those. Let's just add aliens into this franchise of, of this. And that, that I think, was the biggest thing that just, it just killed me because I'm like, it was so off-brand. There were bright spots about it, right? Karen Allen was in it. Karen Allen is phenomenal in this movie. Um, and I don't think she'd been in a movie for a long time. She was in it. Her relationship with Harrison Ford uh, as Indy was extremely believable. Uh, she was probably that... Their interaction together was probably the bright spot of the movie for me. Shia LaBeouf, I feel, was just... I'm mixed on Shia LaBeouf. He's okay, in my estimation. I have nothing against him in general uh, as an actor. But I feel like he was vast, like, extraordinarily underwhelming. Mm. Especially because I had seen, like, the young Indiana Jones. And my thought was, like, they were going to kind of have something along those lines of, like, yeah, it's his son... Uh, they're going to have someone who is more along the lines of like the Sean, Sean Patrick Flannery character, like as he was originally sort of a, like a weird puckish rogue. And they turn him into like somebody from, from like Greece is what they did. How he portrayed the character felt very out of place to me. Now, again, it could have just been the time period. I could go on on this, but that was kind of my problem with it. Right. Or, Or my, my big, my big ripe with it, at least as I remember but I feel like they're going back at it again. I could probably be generous with it, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how I feel about it just after having intentionally not watched it for so many years at this point. And, you know, actually, like, Shia LaBeouf, in my, in my estimations, has, has grown on me in, in, <laughs> in the intervening years. Um just you know every mostly what he's done off screen i i really have just come to like him a lot more him becoming the meme of himself is probably like yeah i would agree i i vastly i vastly like that shia labeouf than the screen shia labeouf yeah he leaned into that so hard yeah he really he just got really meta with his life and i feel like i kind of feel sorry for him too because i mean he kind of was a like because he was kind of a child actor, yeah. right? Like I think yeah, he started he as a teen. Holes. 
Yeah, he was in Holes. I think he was like, what, 14, 13, 14? Probably. Maybe, like maybe, that. maybe about that age. You know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as like some of the other child actors out there, but I feel like he felt like a casualty of the of the child actor syndrome. Like, oh yeah, yeah Macaulay Culkin like went off and like just became absolutely batshit insane. Uh, he's kind of leveled out now, but he's still being insane about it, which yeah. I kind of enjoy. Like, he's come full circle, I feel, at yeah. this point. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, yeah, <laughs> I, seeing the, the things he gets up to now, I'm, again, like, I've come full circle, and I'm, I'm once again jealous of him <laughs> and all the wacky shenanigans he gets to do. Yeah, like, hanging out with, you know, different YouTubers, and just like all the all the wild crazy shit he gets to do now. I think Macaulay Culkin. Now that I think about it, this is a hundred percent an observation of just him as the as the like just insane things that he's not only allowed to do but just does on a regular basis yeah. without people questioning it because he's Macaulay Culkin, and the fact that he kind of has a weird face, man. I think he's the I think he's the the heir apparent to when Gary Busey dies. <laughs> Like, because Gary Busey hasn't died yet, has he? Like, he's no, been out he's... of the kind of the stream of consciousness of America for a little while. And I feel like Macaulay Culkin is not just poised, but but prepared. Like, he has been raised since... He's grooming himself to take up the mantle. <laughs> it's, it's like a mantle of power, like the summer night uh, yeah. from Dresden, except instead of, like, you know, all weird summary powers. It's just powers of just batshit insane, yeah. insane things that he does on a regular basis. And when Gary Busey dies, that mantle is going to just fit like a glove on Macaulay Culkin. I 100%. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, this is a mega tangent. But now, so when they do a remake of, what is it, Lethal Weapon? Which one's Busey in? Lethal Weapon 2? I think 2. Is I it 2? Right. When they do the inevitable remake of Lethal Weapons... I, of all the lethal weapons, obviously, um, I really want Macaulay Culkin to take Gary Busey's spot. Yeah. And also when they, because, were they talking about a Point Break remake? Or did they do a Point well, they Break? Did, they, they did one. They did one. Oh, I'm sad that it was before before the time when they could have cast Macaulay Culkin as I, Gary Busey's character. Yeah, I think, who did they get? I don't they remember now. To... God, I, mean, I haven't seen it, because I'm like, why would you watch a remake of Point Break? Well, yeah, you could just watch the original. Yeah, you could. Um, it's like it's like when they did the remake of Total Recall. Yeah. Okay. Why would I watch this? I get. I guess Colin Farrell's in it, and and um, uh, uh what is it? Um, Kate. Uh, the one from uh, Underworld series. Oh boy. Oh. Um. I don't remember oh, her name. Oh, she's gonna me now. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've got it right over it. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away from my microphone, and I'm gonna pick it up. And I'm going to see, let's see, Underworld. Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been, I think Kate Bush stuck in my head. Kate I'm, Bush. And I know that's not right. Yeah, it's, no, it's Kate Beckinsale. And, and honestly, like, as I, I love me some Kate Beckinsale. Uh, but as, as opposed to what she is in Underworld, uh, a vampire wearing skin tight leather the entire time. Uh, I wasn't about to see Total Recall when she was not in skin-tight leather. Uh, and Colin Farrell did not have his accent in that movie, which means it was going to be trash anyway. Yeah. As the Colin Farrell and rule dictates. Also, you know, he wasn't going to be in skin-tight leather either. So that is also a It's a, a double fact. loss. It really is. Uh, you know, honestly, I think they just need to make more movies where people are in skin-tight leather, is especially Colin Farrell and Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. I mean, uh, skin tight leather. We can we can watch the original, like the first three X Men. 
Oh, you know what? Yeah. They're yeah. all in skin tight leather there. They, they, everyone is in skin tight <laughs> leather. <laughs> that was that was a wild time because like I mean, honestly, like Raimi's Spider Man, and this is we're just not even talking about this yeah. this movie anymore that we were we're supposed gonna, to. We're just gonna talk about better movies. <laughs> I don't think that Raimi's Spider-Man, like, as much as it did, like, everyone says, like, that's where people started saying, yes, you can make big-budget superhero films. I really think that it was Brian Singer's X-Men that really brought it home for people. I'm, I'm gonna go back to Blade. I feel like Blade doesn't get the credit it deserves. So, I will agree with you that it does not get the credit that it deserves as a comic book film. However, I'm going to raise you that... No one knows outside of a select few, well, a fair amount of nerds, that Blade is actually a comic book. The, the, is, the majority consciousness of people know that X-Men and Spider-Men are comic yes. book characters, but they don't know that Blade is. And I feel like if you say, oh yeah, Blade, they're immediately going to say Wesley Snipes, that movie from like the, what was it, mid-90s, early 2000s? I think it was like late 90s. Late 90s, yeah. I think the first one came out. I think the 97 first one was... or 98? Yeah, it's it, about that time. Yeah. yeah. That would be my only contention with your statement. And yes, I feel like Blade, probably within the industry, showed people that they could make a comic book movie. Yeah. Is the thing. And it was an inside industry confirmation more so than a popular, uh, uh, you know, just the average... General pro- awareness. General awareness. Uh, but I would say, I think Singer's X-Men really was the thing that, like, just like, okay, Spider-Man... Raimi, that could have been a fluke. Cool. Yeah. Let's let's make one or let's make let's make one of those. We'll make two of those. Uh, but Singer's X Men was like, okay, yeah, people are eating this shit up. We yeah. know it. It's confirmed. And the fact that it had Hugh Jackman in it uh, yeah. as Wolverine, always a plus. Always a plus. And skin tight leather. In skin tight leather. Uh, and we come back full circle to mm-hmm. skin tight leather, which <laughs> uh, I think actually Kate Blanchett, who is in this movie, uh, who is the villain, I think she actually does wear skin tight leather in this, if I remember right. Oh, I I feel like you're right. <clears throat> yeah, or she wears very tight, like restricting clothes. Yeah. So you know what? We inadvertently did a good. Yeah, we did. We did a good thing. <laughs> which. Man, I, like, this movie has all the hallmarks of a great film, right? It's got Spielberg. It's got Harrison Ford. It's got Kate Blanchett. It's got John fucking Hurt, for crying out loud. Like, it should be good. I mean, like, it's got, it's got action. It's got an updated budget. It's got, it's got ev- you know, it's got the, the full force of everything that you would want behind it. And it just... In my estimation, when I saw it, it just felt like it was, I think, and it might have been just that my expectations were too high because I loved Indiana Jones so much. Uh, going back and watching it maybe with that knowledge might make it better for me, to be totally honest with you. And that's what I'll say. Having seen it the first time, I would probably only give it a one out of five Snake Pliskins. Going back, watching it a second time, I imagine I could probably see myself giving it a two maybe 2.5 if I'm suspending the disbelief there uh, on it. That that would be what I feel like I'm going to do because originally when I had seen it, my impressions were that it was a one of five movie. Uh, and that's that's kind of where where I go with that. I don't know what how do you think you'll enjoy it? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go with your initial rating of, of one snake pliskin. One snake pliskin. Okay. Yeah, no we're not optimistic about this one, are really we? We're not. I on the other hand, the only way this movie can go is up. 
It, you know, it, it can. And that's why, I again, I'm kind of the optimist. And also, I feel like, this is just me, whenever I watch a movie, right away after I'm done with it, I think it might just be that initial, like, euphoria of having seen a movie, like, sort of like the, oh, I'm into it sort of yeah. thing, is that I tend to be more generous with movies right after I see them, and then, like, after I think about them for, like, you know, a couple months afterwards, I'm like, okay, now I can really give my good critical analysis, right? Which, you know, I kind of like that we're doing this beforehand. We're doing the critical analysis beforehand yeah. because then I can just be like, all right, this is what I said before. Now I've got this. Now now I'm, you know, when I go to watch this movie, it's not going to be just that rose, rose-colored rose glasses that I've got. Yeah, so you, you've got a, I've got a two, you've got a one Snake Plissken. I don't know. I, I think that the big thing with this sort of movie in general is... It's the nostalgia factor, right? Like, you get all of these other movies, and we were talking about it with Star Trek. You get nostalgia for these things you grew up with as, as a child. And I think that's why we, we've seen a lot of these people who grew up in the 80s, like, we've got Stranger Things now. We've got yeah. everything 80s, like 80s kids stuff. And this has been happening a little bit too, but more so now-ish. They, they brought back a lot of other 80s sort of... Uh, tropes into movies, a lot of other 80s, like even like properties that they're yes. trying to reboot. What are your thoughts in general on like reboots or continuations of stuff like that? Because I feel like it's almost disingenuous to that franchise, especially if you like, like in this case, it was it was probably okay because like they got the original actors to do it. Like they only added a few other new actors to the mix. You know, Harrison Ford was in it. I feel like this could have been great. This one was sort of a, like a textbook way of what not to fucking do. Yeah. Even like, and, and if this one fails, having all of those same elements in place, but more so, I don't know. It's it seems intangible to me. Like if you to try to catch that lightning in a bottle again. So like, why not just try to like take a chance on a new property instead of like making people think that your new thing is shit when they love the old one? I feel like it's a much higher risk to do that to me. So I I understand the whole concept of like the twenty, thirty, and forty year cycle that they talk about with like how properties you know you get like sort of cycles of nostalgia. So mm-hmm. kind of how Happy Days came out in the 80s and it was about the 60s, you know, in the 90s we had that 70s show about the 70s. Yeah, yeah. So you got like that 20 year cycle there. So I, I get that concept. I, I like the idea of bringing in ideas and tropes from older properties, like more to nostalgic properties. So I think... It's like Stranger Things. I would say that is a way to do it well. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with the Indiana Jones remake, you know, it just, it feels like a cash grab to me at the end of the day. It feels disingenuous. Whereas Stranger Things was made, like you said, I think they took the tropes and not a property. Yeah. And they were like, all right, let's, here's the setting. Here are the tropes. Like, here are the things we want to do. Let's make our own property with it. Yeah. It just feels like, yeah, again, I think that's that feeling of... Is it genuine or is it like a cash grab? Because, yeah, I think you're right. In With Indiana Jones, and again, I think that Spielberg genuinely and Harris, everyone involved, I think that they love that property. Yeah. And I think that they probably wanted to make something great with it. Like Lucas, Spielberg, you know, Harrison Ford, all of them. But I think in this instance, like, it may have suffered from, like, and again, I don't know. I'd have to go and look at it. But a lot of it might have been studio-driven, too. Um, where, again, I think the studio probably encouraged him, like, hey, let's, you know, this is this is going to make us some money here. Because yeah. we haven't seen one of these movies since the 80s. Yeah. Let's make it. Which, again, it's that nostalgia cycle that you talk about. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I like, 
I like the idea of using the tropes versus redoing a property or rebooting a property yeah. more so. Again, there have been reboots that have been good. Yeah. This is this is gonna this is gonna sound weird. So I've seen the second Halloween. I've never seen the first. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any of the other original Carpenter Halloweens. Yeah. But I've seen all of the Rob Zombie Halloweens. I actually really like the Rob Zombie Halloweens. Yeah. Now, again, that's a that's like a weird thing where it's like everyone universally I felt like hated it, and I was the only one on the planet to like it. No, I I know a lot of people that like the Rob Zombie Halloween. Yeah, well, the circles that I generally ran in were people okay. who were like Carpenter Pierce, and I, I'll say, I'll fight anybody on this. Carpenter might have been one of the greatest directors to ever live, and it's a shame that I haven't seen any of the like the original Halloween. But man, why would you watch that when you can just watch Big Trouble in Little China or The Thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like or. Uh, you know, Escape from New York. That yeah. there's a reason why my rating system is Snake Pliskins. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm with you. Like, so obviously his movies are amazing. I, I think of John Carpenter movies. I think of the 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 score, the music in those movies is it, it just hits differently. Um, I think he might have just been the complete auteur of that era, like very late '70s to to like early '90s. Uh, I think probably. Of that sort of ilk, I think Craven was probably like into the '90s, probably surpassed him. So I, like I said, unpopular opinions aside, I think you can do a reboot, right? And I think Rob Zombie did it, like, because honestly, Rob Zombie's Halloween—it's a completely different take on Michael Myers, from what I understand, because I know the whole plot of yeah. the, the original Halloween, whatever. Uh, I think it was a uniquely Rob Zombie film, and I think that was a way of doing it in a way where if you're going to take a property and do something with it, do something new with it. Yeah. Like, I like that idea. Or don't reboot a property and reboot a trope or a feeling. Yeah. That, that's, to me, that's the way to go. I think also Crystal Skull, you know, it's fighting an uphill battle from the beginning. Because I feel like the, tr- the original Indiana Jones trilogy, it was nice. It was neat, compact. And it, the ending just tied a bow on it. It felt like a complete story to me. Yeah, uh, and especially with the whole, like, hey, like, is Indiana Jones, like, he can't die now, right? <laughs> like, yeah. how are they going to put that in in this new movie? Like, there's that whole aspect of, like, man, this kind of feels like it's a little out of canon. Yeah. Crystal Skull feels, like, again, haven't watched it yet, but, out like, an outward perspective is it feels like fan fiction. Oh, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Like... Uh, Indiana Jones is back, and he's older, and now he's fighting Russians. And, and oh, look, there's aliens now. Like, it, it feels like fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs> Shia LaBeouf is the self-insert OC. <laughs> oh, man, I, I think that's... I think we're going to have to cut it off. <laughs> we'll, let's let's go watch the movie now, okay. uh, and then when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about if, if our feelings have changed uh, on this. But I... Man, I'm I'm never like now. I think I'm just. It's always going to be colored as this is just an Indiana Jones fan fiction, and Shia LaBeouf is the OC. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, well, we'll see you on the other side of this. No, oh, that can't be good. of skulls at Agador. Whoever finds them will control the greatest natural force the world has ever known. Power over the mind of man. Careful, my 
get exactly what you wish for. I usually do. Oh, Marion, you had to go and get yourself kidnapped. Not like you did any better. Make your teachers teach the true version of history. Your soldiers attack on our command. Build everywhere at once. No powers over the whisper. Invading your dreams. Thinking your thoughts for you while you sleep. You alright, kid? I left my bike at the cemetery. Yeah, but you're alright? I left my bike. Well, we'd be through worse. Yeah, when? Come quietly, Dr. Jones, and bring letter with you. Letter? What letter? <laughs> what did Mr. Williams just give you? Me? Do I look like a mailman? We don't ask again. Come now. Or what? Nice try, kid. I think you just brought a knife to a gunfight. And we are back. I am here with my good friend, Alex. We have just watched the uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Initial thoughts and impressions on it after watching it. Uh, Again, I think? You had mentioned I had seen it again. I don't think you had ever seen it, correct? Correct. Uh, This was my first time seeing it. And outside of the context of this show, I would have never would have. And I would have been very happy with that decision. Is that the way you still feel about it? Yes. Okay. I maintain that. Uh, my life was better without this knowledge. Oh my goodness. I was a little bit more forgiving of it on this watch through. Uh, and I had seen it. I had seen it before, but it was so foggy that I'm like, I basically hadn't seen it. Essentially, I think I came up in my estimation a little bit of it, watching it within the context of this movie is not, it's an Indiana Jones fan fiction is what it is. It's like Stephanie Meyer wrote, like it's Stephanie Meyer writing Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is what she did with Twilight, basically, or whatever. Not really, but it's it's tenuous. Uh, like, like okay, it's kind of garbage, but it's still sort of that Indiana Jones sh- sort of feel here and there, uh, but clearly not set in the universe. It's like, um, and I might have said this at the in the first half. Uh, I don't remember the things that come out of my mouth once I say them. I just put them out of my mind. Uh, is that it felt like someone did an animated series of Indiana Jones. And this is kind of one of those, like, it's kind of fun at points, but it's sort of one of those off episodes. Like, (laughs) yes. Yeah, if you were watching this, like, as a series of animated cartoons or an animated show or something, it'd be like, yeah, that one's okay. Maybe skip that one, but, like, whatever, if you want to get the context of it, sure. So I would say it it, it may, I don't know if it came up in my estimation at all, but it definitely wasn't, wasn't as bad, I think, as everyone says, at least if you're looking at it from that standpoint. If you're comparing it directly to any of the other Indiana Jones movies, it is hands down the weakest and it is hands down you know i've seen worse adventure films but not a lot not a lot of that caliber by that kind of director you know yeah i'll agree i think the one of the most disappointing facets of this film is knowing who everyone involved and knowing what they can put out and i feel this movie should have been better than it was yeah, obviously you've got Harrison Ford in the titular role. Uh, you've got the villainous Kate Blanchett, who, you know, again, always good in anything she's in. I I even felt like her, like she hammed it up too much. Her, her character was overly like, ah, yes, I am overly the Russian stereotypical villain. She should have, honestly, she would have been much better in that role if this was a Bond film, frankly. I can see that. I kept thinking of the character from the the female villain from Rocky and Bullwinkle. 
Um, I can't remember her name. Oh, I, I don't, I, I can see it in my head, but I don't remember who it is. But yeah, I can see, I can see the villain. The things I did like about it, I guess we can go, go this way. What were, what were a few things that you actually liked about it, if anything, at all? My, my favorite thing about it was John Williams just, just really making it a banger. It, you know, now I generally don't pay attention to soundtracks usually, because uh, I'm of the school usually that soundtracks sort of just in the background to emphasize the, the scene. Uh, but you are completely correct in that John Williams, the score for Crystal Skull, if you are a fan of buying, uh, you know, just the soundtracks to listen to, by all means get that one, because it is very good. Yeah. Uh, it- and, and honestly, if... I'd have to ask my brother because he's the one who's really into soundtracks. And I think he has this soundtrack. I'd have to ask him what his favorite one is because I remember there were a bunch of standouts from this now that you mention it. Because I I generally don't think about that sort of thing. That's interesting. I don't know. So that's the only thing, huh? Not the only thing. I, there, there were some good comedic beats there. Like there was, there were a few parts where I laughed. It, it was kind of fun seeing Indy like, sort of back in action for a bit until you remembered what this movie was and the fact that it was alien skulls um i i have to say until he the movie up until the point where he got on the um like the rocket car on the rails yes up until that point it was a phenomenal opener it's exactly what you would have expected from an indiana jones film like you've got all the elements like you've got this weird mysterious like oh these guys are driving around through new mexico and ha 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 they turned an army base oh they're just some soldiers oh no they're fucking russians and then indy comes out of the trunk uh what's his face comes out of the trunk and Oh no, we're going into this warehouse. Haha, it's a callback to where the Ark is. It's all starting out so perfectly, right? And then he does some weird magic with the, with like the magnetism. Like, yeah, this thing is highly magnetic and these things can, yeah, like, what, what was that? Was everything else just not made of metal in that warehouse? Like, <laughs> yeah, I love the selective magnetism. It was pretty good. Uh, and the fact that all of their bullets were, I guess, steel shot. Yeah, I Two? guess so. I don't... And not lead? I, that's, that's one way to make a bullet, I suppose, if you feel like going that way. They might have all just been full metal jacket, okay? but then again, the buckshot? Yeah. <laughs> I It doesn't... It breaks my brain. That suspension of disbelief I can get away with. All right, cool. You got to find this somehow. You know how it is. Like, all right, here, give me your ammo. Smart in Indy's part. He's getting yeah. them to, like, take the ammo out of their guns. Cool. And then, like, he has the good chase. He's double-crossed, backstabbed, all of that stuff. Really great. I mean, even Kate Blanchett not quite hamming it up so much yet. All great. And then he gets on that damn rocket car. And then they end up going out into the middle of the desert to God knows where. And then he gets blown up in a nuclear explosion. That's where the movie should have ended. Yes. Uh, and then, haha! Just kidding. This was like a this was like the the teaser for a television show, uh, and it was just promotion for this new Indiana Jones television show. It's a spinoff series about his son. Cool. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Over. I, I would, I would have been there for that. You know, I would have endorsed that. It's are you? How familiar are you with the TV tropes website? I'm not at all. Not uh, at all. So there is a a term for that, 
or that is sort of an homage to that. It's called Nuking the Fridge. Really? Yes. So it is sort of a a more like our generation's version of like jumping the shark. Jumping, okay, that's kind of what I was going to ask you. Is it like jumping the shark or? Yeah. All right. So it's it's our our generation's version of jumping the shark. You nuke the fridge. You take something that should have been really promising and you had a lot going for it and then you you nuke the fridge. See, it's without being aware of this of this trope, it must be so like such a cultural thing. That moment must have been so painful for everyone that collectively we all just think of that scene and we're like, no, no. Yeah. Fortunately, there's a lot of that scenes. I don't know. After that, everything is kind of a problem for me (laughs) for the most part. There are some good bits. Like there are some scenes with John Hurt where he's kind of like the, the sort of like, I guess at this point, like he's the his brain is scrambled he's kind of funny like his like the comedic bits of him just wandering off and like ah i've gotten help it's the it's the commies aha that was pretty good yeah i like john hurt in that it was a weird role for him but i think he pulled it off very well uh i i always love john hurt and i will always take more uh unfortunately you can't because he's dead Uh, yeah unfortunately not not in the current year not in the current year uh and then I had less of a problem going back and watching it a second time with Shia LaBeouf than I did in the first the first time I watched it. I still don't like him in that character, and I think that character was, like, Mutt Williams was just generally not great. I felt like he was kind of a, I don't know, he was the, he was like a weird... The friends we made along the way plot line. Like, aha, here's the sun, I found along the way plot line that was kind of superfluous to the entire thing like the real crystal skull was my family yes i did like the addition of karen allen back in although she was a bit again my my fondness from her uh when i watched it the first time also decreased a little bit as my estimation of shia went up just a tad she was just kind of like this like after a certain point she was angry at indy and then after a while she was just like Ah, she's a teen in love again. Cool. I think it would have been cooler if it was just, like, the father-son stuff or the Indian old flame stuff. I think they put all of that together and it just none of it hit. Yes. I I agree. I think if it had been just Harrison Ford and Shia LaBeouf and you played up the father-son thing or if it was Indy and Marion, I think those two ideas separately would have worked. But when you get a weird triangle, when you try and bring all of these aspects together. So let me let me ask you the question then. What do we think of the elephant in the room, which is obviously aliens? Uh, and then that just, that ending. Like, what are your take? Because I'm just still trying to process it again in my mind. Like, what even was this? I feel that Indiana Jones, to me, is is a solidly, like, it is a fantasy series. It is, it harkens to me back to, like, old, like, pulp fiction type of things. You know, like, like John Carter of Mars type mm-hmm. of thing, Tarzan, that genre. And all of those things were, uh, you know, in my estimation, vaguely supernatural or you know yeah. more magical elements rather than trying to 
use sci-fi and aliens. Even the ones that were sci-fi, you still had a lot of like especially like I guess if I'll if I'll throw like this out there too, like um even Flash Gordon, like the implications and I don't know if this was ever shown that like you know, Emperor Ming was somewhat magically powerful too. Like it wasn't like that he was just like, ah, I've got all this technology. He, I think he was just like some evil sorcerer too. Like yeah. it always had that, that supernatural, magical or religious element to it. Like, like yes. this weird thing. And they, yeah, you, they, they just completely cut that out. I, I don't like it. The aliens were just just awful it, it was so tenuous as to what was even going on and why they needed to bring these skulls back like i get like okay the aliens are meant to be like ah there are archaeologists from another world that came here and are were albeit way too soon i guess uh to get any a lot of good artifacts unless there's some weird prehistory stuff that they were going to go into which would have been even cooler then they had they're just like all right they got to bring the skull back why do you got to bring the skull back? We just have to. That was the that was the whole thing. We know the skull's talking to me. It just wants to be brought back, because it's like, you know, in in the you know the Ark of the Covenant. No, no, we we know what's what's gonna happen with the Ark of the Covenant. We can't let the Nazis do this. There was a solid thing. Oh, the Holy Grail. Yeah, we have to do that. Even with the even with the Ankara stones. Yeah, this village is going to just. They're all going to die if we don't get these magical stones back. There was some concrete reason why they wanted to do this. I mean, honestly, it's just. Well, I guess we can't let the commies get this red scare shit. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. But even like. Even then, like, the threat of of the Russians wasn't that... It wasn't strong enough for me. Yeah, because it, it wasn't... I mean, again, in knowing history, it was never it was never a hot war, really. Yeah. It was all proxy wars and Cold War stuff. So, like, you're not, like... Yeah, there were scares about maybe being nuked or whatever, and maybe this could have been a nuke. You never know. Like, oh, we found this alien technology, and we want to turn it into a weapon? Cool, whatever. But, like, it, it is, there was none of that in the movie. It was all just the commies are here to take the stuff, and then also the skulls telling me to do it. And then they never got more in-depth than that until it was at the very end where they said, hey, they're archaeologists, they were collecting these things, and now we have to put the skull back, and then they just yeet out of there? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I guess they just did, you know? And the other thing, too, is it's clear that, like, they could have, I guess, you put the skull back and they all become one maybe corporeal entity and then they leave in their spaceship, I guess, or through the dimensional portal or whatever the hell it is. Like, why couldn't they have done that before the skull was taken, like, in the 1400s, I guess, or was... Like, were they all buried? Like, there, it just opens so many plot hole questions. Like, yes. I'm usually okay with saying, cool, I'm going to suspend my disbelief on this plot hole here because it makes it work. There's just, there. it's all holes. It's like yeah. you bought Swiss cheese and then it's it's just like, and then you open it up and it's like some like Victoria's Secret lace panties. Like, oh, this isn't what I wanted at all. I wanted holes in my cheese, but not this many. <laughs> it's... So it's a too holy urban tall, <laughs> or it, it is it is a a better Shia LaBeouf film holes. <laughs> there, were, there were more holes than that other Shia LaBeouf film. It's it was it is frustrating. I think if you but if you do take it in a way where it's like this is not an Indiana Jones film. It's just some weird like 
it's all in the 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 head of that kid that's watching the TV from. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, what's its face? Uh, part of that, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. It's it's Indiana Jones happened, and then this kid was imagining it the whole time. Cool. Let's just throw it yeah, into that theory. You the aliens fly away, and then you zoom out, and it's just a snow globe. Uh, that's being held by an autistic boy. Yes. Uh, and then Orson Welles comes in and he just yells, Rosebud. Yes. That's, that's all that happens. I don't know where to go with this. Do we have anything else to say on this? Like, any final thoughts before we give our final rating on this? Uh, skip the movie. Listen to the score. You know, you're probably not wrong on that account. I'll... Or watch the movie up until the part where he gets on the rocket sled. And then turn it off and imagine your own ending. It'll be better, trust me. You know, that's actually very good because that beginning is very it's solid. Like there's nothing there that's bad. Like the the camera work, and like you said, it's just so disappointing cuz like the cinematography's all good. Now obviously there's the problem with the whole modern uh the modern uh CGI elements of the whole thing where yes. Those were shaky too. Like it's just bad, but anything where they're like the camera work and the sets and the scenes. Oh, one other thing that I really hated. I think Indy would have one if he didn't die in the fridge. Uh, if he didn't die in the fridge in that explosion, whatever. Let's let's just say he, you know, the nuking the fridge happened. Great, we're gonna believe this. I don't for one second believe that I, he would have let himself sink in the quicksand rather than grab a snake and be pulled out of quicksand. Yes. I, <laughs> I, like, I I have a similar aversion to heights uh, that Indy has to spiders. And I I would certainly let myself die before I, I dealt with anything height related. I so that's I also have an extraordinarily extreme aversion to specifically snakes. And okay. I yes, if I was like, you know what, I'll wait. I'll just wait. <laughs> you yes. you find anything else. Like vine made of like like poisonous spiders sure i'll take a chance with that one snake no you let me drown let me drown in quicksand <laughs> please yeah don't throw a snake in my face yeah i 100 percent. for me i think that was the moment where i'm just like i can live with the fridge nuking but i can't abide the snake grabbing yes uh so what is your what is your final 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 rating of this on a scale of i guess zero uh, you know zero to five snake pliskins i i it gets one uh snake pliskin pinky toe with the context that i put this in i think i'm gonna say probably probably a two or 2.5 like it's it's not like if you've never seen an indiana jones film and you don't necessarily care about it like i think it would probably be fine uh if you've seen any like if you watch this one first and then the other ones it's probably way better uh as a movie in and of itself i'm fluctuating between one and a half and two and a half so i'll just say two two snake pliskins uh definitely one of those whole snake pliskins was the soundtrack uh and then the other one was just the opening sequence actually i i i like that i will give it one snake pliskin for for the soundtrack and the opening sequence Good. We, we have an accord, and unless there's anything else uh, that uh, we want to say on this movie, uh, I guess skip it and buy the soundtrack, as Alex said. So on, on to this. We, we, we stopped prematurely, and I might put this back in somewhere else. 
the the fire ant scene and the monkey scene you wanted to talk about because we completely forgot to talk about that i oh my gosh that was that was in a movie full of decisions those those may have been the those were no those were definitely the worst i don't remember who told who i was talking to about this about that scene and it was more so not as much the fire ants but the 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 whole like shia labeouf suddenly you know has the the dexterity and wherewithal of like a capuchin monkey to be swinging from these branches and then catch up with trucks moving at ostensibly probably 30 to 40 miles an hour that and the cgi was bad he's just sitting there and i think that the only reason they did that was because he has the same hairstyle as the monkeys and he keeps fussing with his hair i think that's the only reason they put that scene in that movie was to explain is to make a joke about his hairstyle i think that's the only reason because it it could not have been any like it was so bad why would you do this that makes more sense than anything i would have thought (laughs) i i thought they just did it because I don't know. Tarzan was popular at some point. I guess, but it's not even like this is like meant to be like even a Tarzan homage, I think. Maybe it was, and maybe I'm just like missing it, but that was that little detail where it's like they have this same damn haircut, him and the monkey. Like Yeah, I that makes sense. I don't yeah, I'm not sure where an American boy, an American greaser would have would have developed and honed the the skills needed to swing on vines. Yes, uh, uh, much less deftly as he does in the film. Yes, maybe I he... like one vine, sure, but not not like a just several vines like he's Spider Man. Maybe he was force sensitive the whole time. There you go. And and he was just a he's just really a Jedi. He then maybe that's it. He is, watch, he is he is Han Solo's son. I mean, there you go. Is this are, is this Force Awakens? It's yes, yes. It's, this is a crossover episode, and it's just it's just one bad movie leading into another. Yes, this is uh, this is the prequel to oh this is the prequel to Force Awakens. Mm. This is what happened before uh, Ben Solo became uh, an evil Jedi. And they switched actors for some reason, I and guess. They switched actors. Because Shia just, LaBeouf was off doing drugs somewhere. Yes. Uh, they switched actors kind of like uh, Terrence Howard uh, between Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Oh, from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle? Yes. <laughs> That's they just st- replaced actors and just expected everybody to be okay with it. <laughs> just never mentioned it. Ah, uh, what was so? I I I brought up the monkey swinging thing. Like, what was the? Because that was what I focused more on than the fire ants. Because the fire ants to me were like, okay, I guess whatever fire ants. But like, I don't know. What what were your thoughts on the fire ant scene specifically? I so I told my friend Ben uh, from work that I was going to be watching this movie uh, for this podcast, and he's like, oh. Just wait till you get the fire ant scene. And I was like, what? And I get there and I'm like, oh, this is what he was talking about. Much like Mutt Williams keeping up with uh, trucks going ostensibly 30 to 40 miles an hour. I'm not sure how a bunch of ants kept up with trucks going about 30, 40 miles an hour. That is also uh, true. Yeah, I don't know what the actual land speed uh, of an unladen fire ant is. I don't either. <laughs> like, 
Uh, it's maybe maybe we just couldn't see it, and they were because ants. All right, here I got a theory for you on why how this happened. All right, this is this is, is going to blow your mind. So ants are strong, right? Yes, they're real strong. So like in any sort of good. Uh, you know, tabletop RPG game where someone is a barbarian and you have a halfling or a gnome in the party, mm-hmm. the barbarian inevitably at some point will yeet them forward at an enemy, right? Okay, the fastball they were, special from, yeah. from X-Men. Exactly. That's, that's what it is. So all of the ants were just yeeting each other forward at incredible speeds. And then the ones in front were just grabbing the ones right behind them and just throwing them in like a chain. Like it was just a chain of ants eating each other at these people. That sounds like the kind of physics breaking uh, shenanigans that this movie would have gotten up to. So maybe that is it. I, that, I, like I said, I don't think they... The, the, the CGI in that scene was not good enough for me to tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somehow the visuals are worse in this movie than they were... In Last Crusade, even and, and I'll throw I'll throw not even Last Crusade I'll throw out the uh, the scene which is I I love it might be one of my favorite scenes in any Indiana Jones movie uh, the final scene of Temple of Doom uh, or the final climactic scene of Temple of Doom where they're on the bridge and they're over the, like the the cliff and they you you show a, a shot down of like these crocodiles in the river and it just looks like they've got raisins. On like like the sh- the far away shot looks like a bunch of like little like I guess they put raisins on top of like this matte painting or something. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then they zoom down. And they use actual photo like 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 stuff of crocodiles. Uh, but like it's just this bad like okay yeah that was kind of bad. You put this in at the very end like like and didn't care about the the you had budgetary restrictions or just didn't care whatever that's bad but whatever. Um, it was that but for the whole like twenty minute sequence. Yes. It's yeah that yeah just bad CGI why why are the, why did that scene exist what what did that scene really like what was the purpose of that it's probably uh, maybe the fire ants were an allegory for communism <laughs> yeah fire ants red communist red I mean I guess there were already communists in the movie but I guess it might just be like ah oh, yes the communists will eat themselves or something yeah, I don't know yeah, it could be it yeah. Anyway, with that, <laughs> yeah, I, I rate that that scene a just a weary sigh. Yeah, that that whole it doesn't even get a snake pliskin. It's just a weary sigh. That's what I rate it. I'll agree with you on that one. Okay, uh, and we'll see you in the next one. And I wonder if it really was. I think it was always was show business. I think they were pretending to be factories, and it was still show business. I heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines, and there I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show that I had to get on somehow. Plus, at the time. Oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus, at the time. Really pieces of work. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Plus, plus at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. I really did, because he was a monster. But they all were, or almost all of them, those guys. He came on as a monster, you know. He snarled at you, like that. Plus, plus at the time. He was a monster, like that. 
plus, plus at the time. I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Follow us on Twitter at MWNS Podcast or contact us at MWNS Podcast at ProtonMail.com. All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license.